Several cases of missing people piled up as the news started to spread online, and all of them were last seen along a particular hot spring inn that was far from many populated places. Because of the sudden exposure of these overlooked incidents, with some dating back for more than a decade, their customers declined dramatically. What was once a fairly affordable getaway for city dwellers and tourists on a tight budget suddenly became a place of haunting mystery and horror. I'm a private detective that often profits from small cases like marital infidelity, which was more common than I imagined, or insurance frauds. I rarely accepted cases that would put me on the scene of danger, or anything that would directly have an immediate impact to a person's life. Being too cautious was one of the reasons why I always thought that this profession wasn't for me. But it somewhat also became a strength in this field since I'm mostly incognito. I am borderline paranoid and was even prescribed to take stimulants to cope with my hyperactive impulses as a child. I was filtering the cases that I handled quite carefully. But there was this one particular case that I just couldn't reject. Alex, one of my close friends, visited his aforementioned hot springs inn just a few weeks ago. Unfortunately, he was one of the people who just suddenly went missing. His parents practically begged me to handle this case, and as soon as possible, since the police had no leads whatsoever aside from the last place that Alex visited. I wasn't supposed to take any case personally, but... It couldn't be helped. His parents knew that I wouldn't stop my investigation until I found my friend, dead or alive. I managed to contact one of my informers who was nearest to the location. I sent him there to discreetly observe the situation and hopefully gain some valuable information. The inn was still operating since they never officially linked directly to the cases of the missing people. The place was far from any town, amidst a dense forest and was relatively isolated. The location was one of the best selling points of the Hot Spring Inn, but it was also the reason why it was so hard to get immediate help if something bad would happen. The forest beyond the property was fairly undisturbed. The ecosystem was well preserved, yet there were no threats of an animal attack. In the beginning, I was looking at the case in different angles. It was possible that the missing people wandered off to the woods and got lost, but rangers already scouted the area a number of times and found nothing. Because there were no solid evidence to lead the case, the superstitious people blamed these incidences on something beyond a sensible explanation. They believed that there must be someone, or something, that was dwelling in the woods, and it took these people. As for me, I focused on the more plausible explanation for the disappearances. Despite the lack of any lead, the possibility of foul play was very high. If I was right, then there would be only a few suspects that would be questioned, the people that were in charge of the hot spring inn. With the help of my asset, I was able to acquire some information. He told me that the network there was pretty bad, taking photos wasn't allowed. 
Now it sounded a bit shady to me at first, especially for an establishment with the tourists as their main market. But it was somewhat reasonable since most of the guests there would walk around wearing bathrobes. I was able to make a rough profiling of those who must have been present when the victims were last sighted. There were only five people working at the inn. The owner of the establishment and his wife. Two middle-aged ladies in charge of the bath and the food. And a man in his late 40s that handles pretty much everything else. These workers had been working there for the last couple of years. The two ladies were always together, since their roles would often need two people to accomplish. But the servant, the only male employee, must have been all over the place, and was most likely the one who had the most interaction with the guests. With this in mind, I asked my informer to keep his eyes on him, but after three days of his stay at the Hot Spring Inn, he suddenly stopped contacting me. I was responsible for my informant since I sent him there, and I couldn't afford to risk anybody else, so I decided to go there myself. I needed to know what happened to him, and at that point, I ended up with two mysterious disappearance cases that I needed to solve on my own. When I arrived at the location after two days of traveling, I easily realized why the establishment was once popular. The first thing I noticed were these very peculiar trees just outside of the property. Half of them were okay and looked healthy, but the other half facing the establishment were dry and pale, as if they were kept in shade for years and deprived of sunlight and water. Surprisingly, these trees still bore fruits even though it didn't look like they were safe to eat. The inn was relatively small, quaint, but very clean. It was basically a combination of a modern style with a heavy influence of native eastern flair. The main theme of the inn was wood. The walls dividing the spring were mostly made of bamboo. The hall leading to the lockers had sliding glass doors from the hot springs and bath while the floor was a sequence of finely woven wood and intricate ornate tiles, in contrast to the traditional onsen, or the private spring and indoor bath. The rooms were very modern and minimalistic. It was like a decent hotel inside an old bathhouse. This well-thought combination was a clever way to balance the relaxing vibe of an old and traditional with the commodities of modern lifestyle. A well-thought concept to experience the serenity of being close to nature, with the convenience of what most visitors grew accustomed to. It was almost perfect, if it wasn't for the mysterious disappearance of the other guests who went there. After my meal, they served me an alcoholic drink, which was claimed as one of their specialties. This crystal clear liquor was quite deceiving. Its smooth texture and addictive sweet taste would make you think that you could drink it casually, until it would suddenly kick in and get you drunk before you even notice it. I was taking a few shots as I observed discreetly, but this stupid method to keep me awake and alert has backfired, 
and I found myself stuck on the hot spring with my weight being supported by the rock that I had to lean onto to keep me steady. I felt like a socially inexperienced teen who mindlessly gobbled a bottle of moonshine for the very first time. The next thing I knew, the male servant was helping me walk me back to my room. I was half unconscious as we crossed the hallway. All I could remember was the beautiful designs of the tiles on the floor. I wanted to ask this man some questions about my missing informer and Alex, and I almost did. But it was a good that I was too drunk to utter a single audible word since nobody should know that I was there to investigate. It was already lunchtime by the time I woke up the next day. Despite of being unexpectedly trashed, I felt no hangover of any kind, and I actually felt relaxed. Since we were far from any other place, all the guests had to dine there. There were only four other guests aside from me. When I was done with my meal, I walked around so I could inconspicuously approach one of them to ask them some questions. The easiest one to talk to was a young man who looked like a leisurely traveler, his name was Lewis. I opened up with boring small talk and slowly led the discussion about what his thoughts about the place were. Unfortunately, I got no input from him aside from what I already knew. However, he was also buzzed out of his mind when he was offered the drink as a token of appreciation for his visit. And like me, he was also just dragged back to his room. I was able to approach three out of the four other guests. The other one was an old amputee who brushed me off quite aggressively. He was a man in his early fifties missing an arm. I discovered that the strange stories about the unexplainable disappearances also became a way for this establishment to pull in customers. Like the foreign couple, Natasha and Dimitri, who were just simply intrigued. Oddly enough, we were all offered the same alcoholic drink. I assume the snobbish man had it as well, and all of us were pretty much dozing off after taking a few shots of it. The second night arrived and I failed to get any valuable information. I decided to stay at their small bar for a while in hopes of getting something from anyone who was serving there. Unexpectedly, the person behind the bar was the main man himself, Hank. He was the owner of the inn. He poured me a drink before I even asked for it. He had a very welcoming vibe and a smile on his face as he started to brag about their own liquor. Apparently, the inn wasn't originally an inn when they started the establishment. They first profited by selling this peculiar alcohol that his great-grandfather invented. And the business evolved as it was passed down from generation to generation. He was surprisingly well outspoken and just kept on sharing the stories about their struggles in the past and the present. It surprised me quite a bit, since this was not the kind of suspect I was expecting to meet here, especially not the owner of an inn that had its good reputation ruined by the unfortunate incidents that happened around or possibly within his establishment. He was talking so casually that what should have been an indirect interrogation moved into a friendly drinking session. He kept on pouring shots as he shared his stories, and I listened to him with an unsuspecting point of view. 
Hank kept on referring to the engraved picture of their family tree displayed right above the liquor shelf. And I stared at it. And I started to feel hazy once again. I was trying to keep up with him and know more about his family. And I got myself so stupid drunk once again. Like how it felt during the first time. The kick didn't crawl in gradually. One moment I was totally fine and well composed, but then the world just suddenly spun intolerably fast for me that I blacked out. On the third day, I woke up late once again, just like before. I felt no effect of the alcohol. I wasn't intoxicated, no hangover. In fact, I felt relaxed. But this time, the state of calmness felt so unnatural as if I was mildly sedated. My body felt weak and my reflexes were slow. I was deeply troubled and anxious because of this, and it was triggering my disorders. My mind was running wild and I knew I couldn't remain collected. My appearance and senses were calm, yet my head was completely disarrayed. At this point, it would be incredibly stupid of me to not realize that there was something in that drink which made me feel this way. My initial thoughts about this case was way off. I did what I could to prepare myself for what might happen. I tried to not look too anxious as I walked out of my room and went to the dining area. I needed to see what was going on. I needed to know if everybody else was in the same state as I was. The leisurely traveler, Lewis, was there. He seemed pissed off as he walked around trying to get a signal on his phone. The old man who brushed me off was also there, just looking down at the food on his plate. It was obvious that he was purposefully avoiding to look at anyone. Then I noticed something strange. It seemed that their appearances have somewhat changed since I saw them yesterday. Especially the old man. I didn't remember this amputee having some gray hair, and his face had more wrinkles than how I remember him. When Hank saw me walk in, he started to wave at me and asked me to come to him. His wife was sitting at the front of the bar. She was just staring at me with a blank expression on her face. He started to explain what happened last night. He told me that I passed out at the bar table and they needed to carry me back to my room. He was saying it in such a humorous and insulting way, with a grin on his face that seemed genuinely friendly, yet very deceitful. Now, I wouldn't deny that this man got me really good. I wanted to hit his face right there and then, but I was so weakened that I doubt that I could have. Most importantly, I didn't want to blow my cover. It would be almost impossible that I would fall into the same trick four times. Even a mouse would know better. I did not eat nor drink anything that came from their kitchen that day, even though I was certain that their own liquor was the one that had been making me pass out. I thought that it was better to be extremely cautious given the situation. Aside from that, there were small details that didn't seem to add up. We were both drinking that night with the same amount of shots, yet he didn't appear intoxicated at all. 
And when I looked back at the first time that I had that drink, I was able to drink more of it despite being tired from the long traveling. It was the third day of my stay in this highly suspicious inn. I totally lost contact with my informant at the third day of his observation here, so I was expecting that something was about to occur. And then suddenly I heard a scream. The scream caught everybody's attention, and we all went to see what it was. The couple was smoking at the parking lot when some kind of snake slithered out from the bushes. This bizarre-looking creeper was not an ordinary snake at all. Its body had black scales like a snake's, and even moved like one. But it didn't have a head. It didn't have any eyes or any other facial features, but just a round, open mouth at the end filled with layers of sharp teeth. It didn't seem aggressive, though. It actually looked as if it was suffocating when it coiled its body quite awkwardly. The male servant of the establishment decided to step in, and he grabbed this creature without a second thought. We were all telling him to be careful, but he behaved as if it wasn't the first time he had done this. The creature struggled in his grip for a while, but then something very strange happened. At the very moment that it stopped moving, it withered within seconds and turned into dust. No bones, no scales. There was no teeth. Every part of the creature crumbled and was reduced to nothing, as if it didn't even exist. Lewis, myself, and the foreign couple were obviously bewildered by what we had just saw, but the male servant just walked away so casually as if nothing happened. The snobbish, amputeed old man, on the other hand, looked as if he knew something. Now, I stayed around the spring for almost the entire day, trying to regain my strength somehow and visualizing any possible worst-case scenarios that I might get myself into. And then I suddenly saw the old man behind the glass sliding door, staring at me. He stepped out and approached me with a disappointed look on his face. He looked at every corner to check if there was anybody else around aside from us. For some reason, he felt the need to talk to me. I figured that he already noticed what was happening as well, and I assumed that he was about to ask me about it. Before he said anything, I told him not to drink the liquor. Yet again, I was so wrong. What he said just completely baffled me, with his eyes squinting, looking quite upset. He whispered to me, What are you saying? Haven't you figured it out yet? I was also blacking out these past couple of nights, but that filthy alcohol never touched my tongue. You think the world around you was violently swirling because you got too drunk? Think again. When was the last time you looked at the mirror since you got here? I was totally lost with the things that he had just said. I could have easily thought that he was nothing but a madman who just suddenly felt the urge to scold me with his bullshit, but he was more composed than I was. He sounded so sure and sincere. 
He slowly tilted his head downwards to the water, telling me to look down. When I stared at the spring, my train of thought were completely derailed and my sense of reasoning was thrown out of the window. I saw the reflection of my face, and it looked as if I had aged about five years in the last three days. I was utterly stunned. I didn't even know how to react. How was this even possible? What the hell is going on? Now, this old man finally introduced himself to me as David. As he began to explain, the situation we were in just became far more confusing and ridiculously unreal. At a certain time, we were being transported into a different dimension. Whenever we crossed, the physical reality was being drastically distorted for a second, as if the world itself was violently spinning. Naturally, a human cannot bear such a ferocious motion, and he would pass out. Within that dimension, the concept of time and space were just as tangible as soil and water. Based on what was going on, it seemed as if the time in our reality was played with and ran significantly faster, so we aged unnaturally faster as a result. He said that he was only able to see this other dimension last night. He was too afraid to look at it the first time he felt it happen and he was even more shaken when he finally did. He said that we were only staying there for a very short moment, as if it were a mere glitch in space, and yet we aged so drastically within three days. With this in mind, if anyone would unknowingly step beyond the grounds that was being shifted back and forth, that person would be trapped there and wither within a few minutes. This would explain the disappearances of the people, the first one reported dated back almost 20 years ago, so it could mean that this anomaly was happening way before anyone noticed it. Unfortunately, one of the recent victims was David's son. He knew there was no chance that he was still alive, but he wanted to know what exactly happened, and at least see his remains. I told him what I thought about this totally unexpected information that he shared with me so far, and he told me that it wasn't exactly this simple. The most impossibly unnerving part of this incredibly bizarre phenomenon wasn't the place and the lawlessness of this different dimension, but those who dwell within it. By the way he said it, I somewhat felt afraid to follow up with a question, but I had to know. When I asked him what he saw and what he knew about them so far, he paused for a moment and gulped as if he couldn't believe it himself. I could see in his face how terrified he was as he tried to remember what he saw, and I had the same feeling when I heard his response. His short answer easily shattered everything I thought I knew. In merely eight words, he uttered what must be the most hauntingly mystifying reply that I could hear in this situation that was already miles beyond any logical reason prior to this information. He described them as the architects of reality as we know it. They were, by the very essence of the world, gods. He looked at his watch as we were talking 
and I saw a number of needle scars on his arms. It seemed he was injecting himself with something so he could force himself to stay awake. Unfortunately, trying to stay conscious during the dimension shift was the easiest part of it. I asked him about it, but his response didn't exactly answer my question. I suggest you run back to your room. Seeing what really happens here is not the kind of truth you would want to know. Leave it be and keep your sanity. He tried to run back inside the building, but it was just too late. Like he said, everything around us turned surreal and distorted, as if the world spun a hundred times within a millisecond. David fell on his knees and started to vomit. I lost my balance and fell into the spring. At that point, I should have blacked out like I did before. This time, however, I remained conscious. Because of the things that happened recently, I feared that my long-forgotten deficiency might get to me. So I took Adderall before I walked out of the room. As I held tightly on the big rock on the spring to keep my balance, the violent spinning suddenly stopped. David was on his knees at the front of the glass sliding door. He was catching his breath since he was puking quite a bit. Even though I was still severely dizzy, I slowly walked forward so that I could try to help him. But the sky suddenly got eerily brighter. The trees surrounding the spring just vanished, and everything was enveloped with a thick fog. As far as my eyes could see, there was nothing but empty space of pale ash gray. We had crossed into the other dimension. When I turned my head back to David, I saw the owner of the inn and his wife along with their crew standing across the hall. For some reason, Hank signaled me to step back. He wanted me to hide behind the rock at the spring. I was confused with what he wanted me to do and why. But my questions were answered by the expression on David's face when he turned his head. There was something in front of us, and he was profoundly terrified of it. David was looking from side to side, with his eyes wide open, while he jittered out of fear. I had never seen a man of that age so scared and so seemingly helpless. This can only mean one thing. He was staring at the dwellers of this dimension. We were right before the gods. Just knowing what they were sent shivers through me. I slowly moved at the side where there were small gaps between the rocks and I took a peek. As I looked, my entire body froze and my heart pounded violently. The heavy pressure enshrouded me. I was completely shaken to the core as I gazed at these three colossal beings in front of us. It looked like they were sitting, but they must have been a hundred feet tall. I couldn't see their features quite clearly because of the incredibly thick fog surrounding everything, yet their presence alone was exceedingly domineering. All I could distinguish were the long horns... One on the left had two pairs of twisted horns similar to a ram, while the other two had multiple spikes on its head, resembling a crown. 
I could not see their faces, but I could easily tell that they were staring at us with their big white eyes, like grown-up kids playing with the dollhouse. And we were the dolls. And then I noticed the faint slithering sound. When I looked down on the ground, it was completely covered in a sea of black snake-like creatures. They were the same ones that we had previously seen. Surprisingly, David managed to speak. Where's my son? He asked with a demanding tone, yet a shaky voice. It was obvious that it took every inch of his bravery to ask that. Out of the three, one reacted and slightly lowered his head. And all of a sudden, his amputated arm was miraculously restored. The unexpected gesture of this godly entity could be taken as an act of kindness, but it might also be an act of a boy who just simply fixed his broken toy. If only David shut his mouth then. Well, could have avoided what happened next. He kept on asking where his son was, and he was raising his tone out of desperation. And just like how this colossal being effortlessly gave back his arms, David turned into nothing in a blink of an eye. He just instantly turned into dust and got blown by the wind. His yelling might have annoyed them. A short moment later, the world around us started to distort rapidly again. We were returned back to our dimension. When I accidentally looked at my reflection in the water, I had aged a few more years. Aside from my age and the absence of David, everything was the same. After that incident, Hank decided to tell me the truth. In his lifetime, he witnessed 11 people who either tried to escape and got devoured by the serpentine creatures or did something that the gods didn't like. There were a few ways that a person could stay conscious during the dimensional shifting, but I was the only guest who managed to stay alive. He was overselling their liquor because they were fermented fruits that the old trees bore, and his great-grandfather discovered that drinking this would slow down the aging that was caused by the shifting. Unfortunately, David refused to drink it. So he was the one who aged the most before he vanished. I returned home the morning after, and I reported back to Alex's parents. Obviously, I needed to lie. No sane person would believe what I experienced during my stay at the Hot Springs Inn. No one would accept the truth that goes against the beliefs that our civilization built the structure upon. How could I even begin explaining that this world that we know is nothing more but a sandbox to these beings? It's better to believe in fabricated lore that benefits the moral practices of a community than to know what really lies beyond the existence of our realities. <laughs>